0: A lot of people say this and it's not cliche, but train to win when those big moments come because, you know, some people are going to have one or two of them. Some people might have 100 of them, but they're all big moments. If you haven't trained for that moment, you will fail. You have to train how your moment is going to happen.
1: Welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Bolin, and today I have the great pleasure of talking with Brady Ellison. Brady, how you doing? Good, man. Doing real good. Man, it is a pleasure to have you on. I, so, Brady, obviously I know you are just an absolute beast, uh, in the competitive world of archery and Olympic recurve competition. But what I didn't know is to the extent that you dominate, I, I, you know, leading up to this podcast, I did a bunch of research and I cannot believe the amount, uh, the, the, the massive pounds of metals that you have <laughs> accumulated over the years, over the last decade, really, you have been, I would say, arguably it looks like arguably the the most decorated Olympic archer uh, in Olympic recurve archer in the last decade, which is Holy smokes, man. I am so excited to talk about this. Thank you for
0: joining today. I appreciate it. I'm glad you had me on. Yeah. So are you uh, in Arizona right now? You're from Arizona, right? Yeah. From Arizona. Yeah. In Arizona right now, uh, we're kind of in the process of packing the house in between tournaments, going to head up to Montana Trying to move to Montana later this year, but trying to fight the heat as of right now. So
1: that's a, a permanent move to Montana you're anticipating? Yeah. Okay. What what what's the catalyst for that?
0: Um. Well, a couple of things. Um. My wife is from Slovenia, and she likes four season. And Arizona has summer yeah. and hot summer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, you know, I would like to get out of the heat and. Um, it didn't really come into the thought, but a lot of the things that Arizona has been changing with, with their hunting rules and stuff like that is going to make it pretty much impossible for me to hunt here in Arizona now. And to be able I to draw tags. Have, well, not only to draw tags, but they just changed our archery season up a bunch too. Oh, okay. Uh, they went to a quota system. Yeah. And, uh, I think with the, the amount of deer that they have, I think that the, the seasons are going to close the first or second weekend. Oh. In almost every hunt so well I mean we'll see i could be completely wrong on that but i don't i like hunting summer like mm-hmm. summer deer and 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 velvet only when i have a giant but since we can't use cameras anymore i'm not i don't have the time to go sit at ten or fifteen different ponds for four days in a row to see what's coming in so yeah man you know i'm in utah
1: and they just they just uh outlawed cameras here too and i i mean not to get in to deep politics here but I'm just I'm, I'm very frustrated with it. It, I had so much
0: fun doing that. It was freaking blast, you know? Well, yeah, Um, that's the biggest thing about it is, you know, my wife and I, even though she doesn't, well, she may start hunting here soon, but, um, you know, she would go out and check cameras with me and then she always enjoyed looking and seeing what we got. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest part of it, you know, is you got out more looking for cameras.
1: Yeah. It's a great activity through the summer. So much fun.
0: Yeah. Summer, winter, all of it. So and I will argue that, you know,
1: cameras allow us to target the most mature animals, which is good for would, the herd.
0: I I would definitely agree, and I think it also, I mean, it it tells you what's you there, but in my mind, it doesn't. It tells you what's there, but you still have to set up a blind right or a tree stand right. You still have oh, yeah. to pick the wind. You still have to hunt There's right. so much work. Oh my gosh! Home, and then yeah, all right. So like yeah, you know you know, that there's deer there, what deer that you may want to hunt because of the camera, but you still got to get them killed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, so it sounds like to me, hunting's a big part of your life.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, my, my grandfather guided here in Arizona for 70 years or 60 years or something like that for, for just about everything. So it's kind of been in the family forever and I enjoy doing it. Um, Is archery also in the family, like uh, archery hunting? When did that start? Um, my dad was big into it. Okay. Um, and that's what got me into it is my dad, it was another way for us to go hunt because in Arizona you have to draw for every tag except like archery deer. Right. So that was something that we could definitely for sure go hunt every year. And so it was just another opportunity. And that's you know, that's how I got my start. So when did you get a bow in your hands? How old were you? Uh I was still on diapers. <laughs>
2: and wow okay I hey.
0: and then so, i got i got yeah. my real, my first real bow when i was probably five or six or seven and okay. i was shooting 3ds and stuff by the time i was nine or ten
1: so uh, did you start with a compound or recurve i mean not in diapers but uh eventually uh, when, okay yeah. so when you're five six seven years old you're shooting a little compound
0: yeah i shot a compound all the way up until i was 16 really actually oh and competed with the compound um i was on the team that won uh junior worlds in 2004 and then i won an individual world title in 2005 as a junior with a compound
1: okay and so you were how old then
0: uh 16 16 you won an individual world title as a junior and then i i actually i switched to a recurve in 2006
1: okay and and what what how did that happen? I mean, what precipitated that? Were you just
0: curious or? No. So it's actually kind of, it's a funny story, but it's actually kind of bad on my knowledge at the time too, but (laughs) I didn't even know that archery was an Olympic sport. And then uh, we went to this camp, like a, a junior camp and my compound broke and my buddy had a recurve. So I just shot the recurve for a week. And then the coaches and everyone at the camp are like, "Hey, like you should switch. You know, you could try to make an Olympic team." And I'm like, "Oh, whoa! Archery's in the Olympics!" And then they all thought I was dumb. Oh,
1: that's awesome! And uh, that is so ironic. (laughs) How many Olympic teams have you been on now? Four. (laughs) That's great. Training for my fifth. And you, you literally at that point had won a world championship as a junior, and it and it hadn't. Come across your desk. The memo hadn't come across your desk. That Archery is in the Olympics. That's freaking awesome! No, was <laughs> awesome.
0: I had shot a compound. I had primarily shot three Ds, and I was just really barely getting into the target scene. Yeah, of things. Yeah, man, that is
1: so cool. And so, was it love at first sight with the recurve?
0: Uh, no, actually, I hated it. Wow, I was I was so. What did used, you hate about it? Well, missing. yeah i was so used with the compound you know being able to to shoot groups shoot scores you know at that time like in the juniors and stuff pushing world records Mm -hmm. and then i picked up a recurve in my hand and i mean like that felt like a perfect shot and it's a six or a seven or oh that one was a 10 like it was just like no consistency to it and even now it's like i love it now um, mm-hmm. I think I think shooting an Olympic recurve is a beautiful thing, but it's still so frustrating because I still feel like you could shoot a good shot and it doesn't hit. And I still have that compound mentality of you know you got to hit every arrow, and missing and shooting big groups isn't really acceptable.
1: Yeah. So l- a little bit of background for the listeners: um, tell me what these bows look like. The, these these recurves, they they have a sight, correct?
0: Yeah, so yeah. the recurve is pretty much just a modern day recurve traditional bow. Mm-hmm. Um looks like just any tournament compound even like we have big stabilizers, mm-hmm. uh movable sight, we can't have a peep and uh we can't have any magnification in the sight, but we do have a sight pin that we aim with. You have a finger tab, everything like that. It's just it's pretty much just a modern day recurve. So you your know, we anchor have point has got to be
1: insanely important. Your anchor anchor points i would say
0: yeah definitely and our um like with an olympic recurve we actually anchor underneath our chin okay more or less you know like our anchor is down here so it's with like one of your, of your knuckles or yeah like the top of your hand and the top of your finger sits underneath your jaw okay so it's kind of bone on bone contact where a yes. lot of traditional you know will be point of mouth or mm. underneath the cheekbone looking down yeah, there yeah
1: that's why it, it does look a little different watching Olympic archery. The, um, the anchor point looks very low. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just anch- to my eye, it does.
0: Yeah. We all anchor underneath our gun. It actually does two things. Um, one, it's a lot more consistent, but two, it also allows us to gain like peep height in a sense. So mm. you, we can get shoot 70 meters. Mm you know, get 70 meters or like when I first started shooting, we used to shoot, um, 90 meters. So a hundred yards
2: pretty Mm -hmm. much.
0: And, um, so if you anchored at the corner of your mouth, like you just, you wouldn't be able to get the room. Yeah.
1: I have that same phenomenon with my compound. I, I shoot with my middle finger with a wrist strap and Mm -hmm. I ankle, I split my jaw between my first and second knuckle because my index finger's kind of dormant. So it allows me to get that bone on bone contact, but it lowers my anchor point and I get like 145 yards out of my sliders. Yeah. With and that's with the 20 yard top pin. Or, you know, the, the rover is my 20, I can get it yeah. down to 140, no problem. And people are like, how do you do that? You're a short guy with, you know, you I shoot way more speed than you. And I'm like, well, it's not about that, you know? Yeah, peep height. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So tell me, uh, I'm I'm very curious about something you said. Um You know, especially with all of your experience to make a comment like this, you said, you know, you'll shoot and it'll feel like a perfect shot. And sometimes it's a six. So what what's going on there? Like, what about because that doesn't happen as much with compounds and not in my experience, like it feels good. It's usually good.
0: And and generally now, like if you shoot a six, you better know what happened. Okay, Um, but let's say it's a, a nine. Yeah. Or nine right. or nines. Like you shoot a good shot and shoot a nine. A lot of times like that's kind of common. Um, you shoot a good shot and shoot a an eight, you know, it, it's, I don't know. It's a recurve, right? So it's, you have no, you have no cams to help you out. It's all, it's all body. So, so is so- there
1: a variance like maybe in draw length or anchor point or something that's going on there that causes, there must be, or is it actually the equipment variances in the equipment?
0: Um, no, I think it's, I think it's the variances in the human body. Okay. So you wake up in the morning, you know, for example, you wake up in the morning, you're hydrated in the morning, your muscles are a little bit more plump, you know, Mm. have a little bit more liquid in them. And then throughout the day, you don't drink any water. You sweat a lot and you could start shooting a little bit low just because your anchor point in the skin underneath your jaw and stuff is thinned out because you're, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. No, (laughs) that's unbelievable. And like when we're shooting at 70 meters, like, um, you know, a lot of things that people don't really pay attention to is like the change in humidity, like throughout the day, if the humidity gets worse or less at a tournament, you'll shoot higher low because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, also wind drift, you could have the exact same speed wind all day, but if it gets more humid, you're going to drift more. If it's less humid, you're going to drift a little bit less. There's just, there's a lot of little things that can, that, can change in sure. in the body that affects where you go. And also, you know, we're only shooting 200 to 210, 15 feet per second. Yeah. You know, 70 meters. So 77 yards. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a, a lot, long wait, man. A lot mm. happens in yeah. that time period that, you know, your arrow can, you know, hit a butterfly flutter from Asia or something and it knocks you out (laughs) of the (laughs) ring.
1: That would be, I got to admit, that would be mentally, um, that would be a hurdle to have to sort of surrender to that, to those possibilities. Because if you try to control all that, you could drive yourself crazy.
0: Absolutely. And it, and it does, you know, most of the time, like you, there there's can be a reason for it you know if it's perfectly calm and you making a good shot, you're gonna shoot within a group mm-hmm. and um depending on your group size, you know what's an accept- an acceptable place for your arrow to land so say say I shoot a ten size group and it's perfectly calm. shoot a good arrow and it fires exactly in the middle of the ten. I'll hit a ten every time okay but where a lot of people get frustrated is say you know that perfectly ten-sized group, but your dot or your arrow fires, and your left ten line,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it
0: still goes off in the ten, and you expect mm-hmm. it to hit behind the pin. But the mm-hmm. acceptable outcome is really that left nine to middle ten. Yeah, because okay. that's your group size. So you feel like
1: at at the world level, a a, a, a normal world level group size is the size of a ten ring.
0: No uh the top guys yeah the top guys say,
1: okay
0: i would say the top 16 or 20 guys in the well we'll say the top 10 guys in the world probably shoot a 9.8 to 9.7 in size group mm. the top four or five guys in the world will shoot 10 size groups on a calm day
1: yeah so I, so just to make sure everybody caught that that's if if everything is perfect and you release in the center of the 10 ring, then the, then the group is a 10 size group. So if it's off by one inch or a half inch to the left, you could miss that line by a half inch.
0: Yeah, or exactly. you might get
1: lucky in, in the group, you know, you hit the right side of your group and you were shooting a little bit left, but that would be just good fortune.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, are the 10 rings the size of a CD, at 70 meters. It's not right. like we at a big
1: target. It's not that yeah. big. Yeah. 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 I mean, a uh, an orange size or CD size target at 70 meters is like with a compound, isn't like for me, that's a challenge to keep them inside there, you know? Um, so that with a recurve, I can't even imagine. So you, I mean, I scrolling through your Instagram, I, I see you with a compound in your hand quite a bit. Yep. you, so you like both and, and how does that work? Do, do most Olympic archers at your level shoot both?
0: seems no. like that might be a challenge. No, it's actually very, very rare. Okay. Um, I, I'm i probably one of the only people that does it on a regular basis. Really? Okay. Um, and it's just because I like to compete at everything and mm-hmm. I don't put, I don't put any time into like my target compound unless I have the time or, or it's a big event. Um, but most of the time I just pick it up a couple of days before and go shoot an event that doesn't have a recurve discipline. Okay. Uh, you know, like, a a good example of some of the NFA, like the national field archery association events, like Reading ready will shoot. That's a big one. I'm not going to shoot my recurve there. So I go and shoot a compound. And how competitive are you at those events? Um, I don't suck, but I'm definitely not there to win. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I you, like,
1: you, you're you devoting the majority of your energy competitively to a completely different
0: discipline. Yeah, definitely. Like I'm, I'm top half. Okay. Yeah. It, you know, I'm In top the pro division. Half. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. I can make a run at it, but, um, you know, like the one year that we had OPA a couple of years ago during the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and we had no tournaments, I shot a compound a lot and then I missed, I missed a shoot off in there by about four or five points, just a couple of targets. So I was close. Yeah. But I I've made a run at it a couple of times, but I, I don't have enough time or effort to, to go and be what those guys are. Yeah. With yeah. Compound. Like they're just stupid good with them.
1: Right. No, they, they definitely are. And, and they, they're stupid good. Like you're stupid good with an Olympic <laughs> recurve. Yeah. <laughs> So 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 Brady you said something there that caught my attention that you just love to compete you said and so tell me about that i mean you, are you just a very competitive person you just want to measure yourself or continually like measure against other people and see where you stand and what what's going into that there
0: no i actually don't think it it's the competing against other people at all i think it's competing against my standard mm. and and like what I want to do. And like my standard is like trying to break a world record every time I go and shoot. So like, yeah. that's, that's what I compete against. And I don't come close to doing that all the time. Don't get me wrong when I say that, but like, that's my standard. That's what <laughs> well, I'm trying you, to you have shoot. a ton
1: of world records though. I mean, you've, yes, I do. Yeah. And it, it, I don't know. Do you, do you have like the world record of world records? Like do you have the most world records or something like that? Cause it's, I saw quite a few of them. Uh, you know, I don't even
0: know. I've never even looked at it or been asked.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I mean, I know, I mean, for the listeners, I mean, you know, for example, one of the world records Brady has is he has the longest period of time as world number one ranked, which is. I don't know if there's a world record that would say more than that to maintain a number one in the world ranking. This is, I believe like tiger woods has that in golf, right? The longest period of time as world number one or whatever. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Um, so, so what drives you that? So under all the okay, So I heard what you said, you said, my standard is I want to break world records and I want to be like, it's extremely high standard. Like you're going for things that, you know, you want to be, I like to call it the first of a hundred billion because <laughs> there have been just over a hundred billion people live on the earth. Uh, since, you know, since people started living on the earth. And so you want to literally be one of a hundred billion. So what inside of you makes you want to do that?
0: Oh, uh, when I put the bow down, I kind of want to be undisputed as the best that's ever lived. Okay. Uh, so that's of kind of lifetime. Yeah area and goal of mine, but you know, and so no, I, I mean, I,
1: I under, actually understand. So what, um, when you are competing, uh, I mean, I love, love big goals and I love shooting for this stuff myself too. I'm just in a different, different worlds, but what, um, what's going through your mind when you're say closing out a tournament or, or let's say you're tracking to break a world record and you've got, you know, a few shots left or whatever. Um, what kind of mindset do you have? Um,
0: like you just kind of ignore, ignore it. Mm. Like every shot, every shot I shoot, no matter if it's like practice blank bell, to try to win a gold medal, try to break a world record has the same process to it. Yeah. So it's in those moments where everything is, is going right. And you're going to break a record um, it's making sure that you continue to do your job and you don't make the mental mistake, right? Like the mental mistake is what kills anything. If so you could
1: if you could forget that you're actually about to make, break a world record, you would prefer probably to forget it right then.
0: Yeah. To not yeah, think
1: about that result, to only yeah. think about the process.
0: Exactly. And you know, you have to, you have to make sure that you, you don't make the mental mistake. Like you don't, let yourself get too amped up or you don't start making the Instagram posts in your head that you broke the road. <laughs> like, okay. you know, we've done that. Yes. You, you, know, <laughs> you know, you got that big buck on the hillside in the perfect yeah. spot. And you're already you're imagining that.
1: the picture. Yes. Yeah. It's a huge mistake. We've all exactly. made. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Would you say, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been competing a lot lately in jujitsu and, um, one of the, somebody told me recently that there are two types of competitors and both can be deadly. They're just very different in how they motivate themselves, but one loves winning and one hates losing. And like within every competitor, there's, you either have a little bit more of you that loves to win or a little bit more of you that hates to lose. Have you ever thought about that? And and
0: where, where do you think you would fall? I think that I would hate I think I'd hate to fall on the losing side. Yeah, like, I like winning, but I, I definitely you hate losing. Hate losing. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm in that.
1: And actually, I heard that more than half of people are in that hate losing uh, category. Yeah, I, I know. I, I and it's almost like you got to be careful because that hatred of losing can become a fear.
0: Yeah, definitely. It can, can become a fair and it also can like attract like confidence. If you're not shooting that well, you're afraid to go out there and, and, you know, just kind of shoot what you've been doing, what you may not think be good enough to win. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of distracts from the fact that, you know, you've competed or, you know, what you're going to do. And when the time comes, it doesn't matter how you've been shooting in practice, you could generally pull something out to make a run at it. Yeah. So I love what
1: you said about, you know, just focusing on the process and, and doing what you do and not worrying about what's happening at the moment, even if you're about to break a world record. I love what you said there. I, I have found though, that's easier said than done. Um, so can you, I, as somebody who competes a lot and tries to chase, actually I chase world record animals. I mean, that's the kind of my thing, right? I mean, what, what, uh, in, in that moment of truth on an animal, I find the exact same thing going through my head. I mean, I remember sitting over, a uh, um, 175 inch stone sheep that I ended up killing. And, uh, I sat there for 90 minutes while he's sleeping and battling with myself mentally and just telling, you know, it was, it was a 67 yard steep downhill shot. And, uh, you know, it was just whatever I can make the shot, but I could also screw it up. And I remember telling myself, like, I literally have to not care whether or not I kill this animal, I just have to control what I can control and make the best shot I can possibly make. And the arrow's going to do what the arrow's going to do. Exactly. Um, and that was one of the times where I successfully conquered that that moment. And I ended up putting two arrows through his vitals, you know? And um, w- what tips do you have, though, for me and anybody listening to help find that? Because it's so hard not to care about the result when, when, frankly, the result does matter, but you have to trick yourself into thinking it doesn't.
0: Well, I mean, you're completely right. Like the result does matter. And it's not necessarily tricking yourself in, into thinking it doesn't matter. But the the biggest thing is, is realizing how are you going to get that result? Right. So like killing the world record or shooting a world record or, you know, breaking a world record. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you, your end goal is like, you can't focus on the end goal. You have to focus on how is that goal going to be accomplished? Mm. You know, and a lot of people say this and it's not cliche, but train the win. Mm. And when those big moments come, because, you know, some people are going to have one or two of them. Some people might have a hundred of them, but they're all big moments. Right if you haven't trained for that moment, you will fail.
1: That's really interesting. So what do you mean and by that? How,
0: yeah. Like, so, you know, like, like for me, you know, I, I'm the last couple of weeks with the kid and everything, you know, changing up our schedules and the heat and trying to beat the wind. I'm getting up at four 30 in the morning. You know, I shoot until mm. eight, eight thirty. Then my wife goes out and shoots and then we put the little guy to sleep for a nap and then we hang out in the afternoon. And then, you know, I go and shoot before dark, Again, wow! But training to win, whatever you're doing, is like you have to train how your moment is going to happen. Do have you found ways to
1: add pressure to your training?
0: Yeah. So, like the only way to add pressure to training is stress, like physical stress. Okay. So, like say, say for example, you know, at a tournament, you have, we'll go a world archery tournament. You have three minutes and end to shoot six arrows. And then the other line. So you have like a three minute break and then you walk down to the target and you come back. Everything's pretty slow. Um, but when you get into matches where a lot of people have, the problem is, is when your, your heart rate gets elevated because you're nervous and you have that adrenaline pumping through your body, you lose a little bit of feeling. Mm, yeah, no. Yeah. Right, right, right. Or the feeling becomes different. Um. you know, you might get a little bit shaky. You might see better because you're more have more adrenaline you hear better you smell better you feel the wind better so you might start overcompensating but you might not feel
1: your anchor point the pressure of your anchor point the same something like that could get disconnected
0: and so like in training you don't have to do it all the time but you have to make sure that you can shoot with the elevated heart rate Hmm. so over the course of a a two-hour training you know a real simple way like shooting targets is don't shoot with the timer. just shoot nine arrows with control, but quickly don't take a break in between the arrows and also build strength. But instead of just walking down to the target all nice and slow and leisurely walk like hustle, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and you're not jogging down there, but you're like, you're walking quickly to get your heart rate up. And you, you know, over 70 meters say, you know, you, it takes you two minutes to shoot and then you walk 140 meters quickly. And come Mm -hmm. back after five or six ends Or doing that for 20 or 30 minutes. You know, your heart rate starts getting to where your legs get a little bit loaded up. You know, your heart rate's been over 100 to 120, 130, depending on, you know, where your heart rate likes to sit. So you've elevated your heart rate for enough period of time that you start building the lactic acid. You start getting the shaking, you start getting the fatigue, and then that's when you learn your shot. That's -hmm. when you learn your control. That's when you learn... What's going to happen in those moments where you go from, oh, yeah, I'm calm, and the whistle blows, and your heart rate spikes from 70 to 120. Right. And right. so, you know, it's training to compete, it's training for those moments. You know, it's the same thing, you know, when you're hunting, you know, how many people sit there and shoot their boat all day long, and that's great, and that's what everyone needs to do, but how many people pound? And shoot their bow after, you know, they make a thirty-minute climb to get on a deer, and you're out of breath, and you think you have time. Your legs are shaking, and you get there, and he's up.
1: Well, bro, I can be standing in a whitetail stand, (laughs) and my heart is pounding out of my chest, and I'm out of breath just from the big buck. Yeah, and then you throw a hard walk into that, and now it's (laughs) off the charts. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, you you got to train to win, right? You know. You got to put, you got to figure out ways to put yourself in those situations. So you're better prepared for that moment.
1: That's, that's brilliant. I, you know, I literally, when I'm out shooting, I, I practice relaxing myself and breathing slowly through my nose and making sure my heart rate's low so that I shoot well. But I, I can see that I'm absolutely missing the point of intentionally Raising my heart rate and getting myself ramped up, and then trying to make a good shot. Yeah, that's, yeah, and, and
0: that's good. You know,
1: that's really good.
0: Ultimately, like you want to, in practice, you want to be able to shoot, you know, you go run a couple of sprints, you're out of breath, your heart's at 150, 170, and you could sit there and in the moment calm yourself down enough to make that shot. Right. Right. Because all the relaxation, everything like that, like that needs to happen at the moment of the shot.
1: Mm -hmm. But before
0: and after it's hard, like you get a big buck coming in or like you're on pace, you know, I'm on pace to, to shoot a world record. And like, you start thinking about it long before, before it's going to happen. Like you start getting nervous about it. You start, you know, the the little devils come in and start telling you about all the things that could happen. And it's just, you know, keeping your cool, keeping mentally where you're not going to make those mistakes and just keep going, keep doing what you're doing. don't change what you're doing to try to keep doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Um, how important is scoring during practice? I score every arrow, every arrow. Okay. Do you warm up a couple shots or do you just start scoring?
0: Um, I may shoot one or two wins just to kind of get things going. But if I feel pretty loose, like if I've been doing something before, I'm going and shooting or I've been working and I'm just, my body's not dead cold. I may start right away. Yeah. I,
1: I recently, you know, and for me, this works, uh, you may have done it enough where this is like just nothing to you, but I recently started shooting Vegas rounds indoor during the winter with a bow hunter setup. Mm-hmm. And, um, as I'm, you know, if like I'm pushing a 300 and there's three or four arrows left, I start to come unglued. And nobody's watching I'm completely by myself, but like you said, I'm imagining the Instagram post, (laughs) you know? And I mean, I've only managed a few 300 rounds with my bow hunting setup. And so it's a big deal to me still. And, um, and so, I mean, that, that right there has, it's actually elevated my archery quite a bit because of the scoring, the precise, the precision, and then the nerves to close that out. I have literally on the 30th arrow shot a nine, I mean, probably 10 times and, or the 29th arrow, like right at those la- that last end is so hard. Yep. And I, I think those kind of things are really healthy for the competitive mind, but it's so, can you still get that type of, I imagine you can't like if you're shooting a perfect round in practice and nobody's there, that's probably not a big deal to you.
0: No, I make it a big deal. Do you?
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And shooting perfect, still perfect. Even if you're by yourself, it's still cool. Yeah. Even when you do it and you you know get a little giddy and you give yourself a little pat on the back, you know no one has to see it but you still did right. it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Very nice. So do you find that um this I mean I can't imagine how it couldn't, but I mean I just I just got to know exactly how you feel about it. Do you find that you know all of this practicing to win and then of course the competition and the the real world nerves that that transfers really well into hunting.
0: Uh, yes, it does. And it's actually ironic. It does, especially in the moment, like I calm down and make the shot in the moment. Um, a lot of the times, but I get way more revved up
2: Mm. than I do Mm. in a
0: tournament. And so like, I know. Even before the
1: shot, you're getting more revved up. Oh Yeah yeah
0: okay oh yeah like i can start like you know i love chasing coos deer here in arizona yeah and i could see a buck that i want on the hillside like you see him for the first time and i am revved up from that moment and it you know you may not even go after him that day you know and then you come yeah. home and you can't sleep and you telling your wife about it and she goes yeah i don't really care <laughs> <laughs> or I'm like oh that's cool baby that's cool are you sure he's not bigger or smaller than what you're thinking i'm like no i'm not telling stories dang it i just don't want <laughs> you to be
1: disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so uh, do you find that getting revved up like that? I mean, the anticipation, say you find a 110 inch koozie or whatever, and you're just, your mind is racing and you're thinking about him for a week and you finally, he beds in the right spot and you make that stock and you're sitting there at 72 yards and you're ramped up. Like, what do you do? Like, wh- do you remember-
0: <laughs> Generally for me um I'm super excited and revved up but once I'm like in the position that I know like I'm starting to get to where I have a good chance to kill this deer mm-hmm. it kind of becomes all business.
1: Yeah. Your training man, your training kicks in.
0: Like yeah, it's immediately like it's like all right, if he stands up like I got a shot like every time the wind blows a little bit I want to get a step closer. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you start getting like you know, deer kind of have that magic sixth sense of it doesn't matter which way the wind's blowing, it could mm. be 30 miles an hour dead in your face. And, you know, somehow they could still know you're th- there. So, you know, it's just once I get inside like that kill zone, it, it becomes all business and a lot more tactical and a lot more calmed down. Yeah. And then it's just trying to get the job done.
1: You ever find that sometimes when the shots are too close? and things are too explosive and like you know you're ambushing something and you expect it to pass at 40 yards and it passes at like 10 and there's like not a stick of grass between the two of you and you somehow you got a draw that like the odds of making a bad shot go way up compared to like a 60 yard shot that's calm
0: yeah because of the like the emotion and the rushing and everything that happens well, there. And, and I think you said it right there, the rushing. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things I've learned tournament wise or hunting is you generally have a little bit more time than you think. Mm-hmm. And when you're, when you're ramped up or you get rushed, time seems to move so much faster that, you know, like you generally, you move a half a second too soon. Or mm-hmm. a second too soon, you use like, oh no, these right there, everything's got to happen now. And that patience, that patience wears out, you know, generally on them, like the farther calmer shots, the animal doesn't know you're there. If you're a little bit calmer. You take your time when everything's up close and personal. And it just happens. Like everything is purely off of, you know, it's purely off the of instinct and like, ah. ah. You know, and trying to get that that half second or second of patience to evaluate the situation, you may not get the shot off because you waited the second, but y- you also don't wound them or have that increased risk. You know, I found that sometimes if something happens like that and you don't move and you don't do something and you don't rush and you don't blow them out of there, you either get on them again or they might jump and run and then kind of look back at you and you get on them again or you know that opportunity comes not right at your feet,
1: yeah. I've had to start telling myself, well, years ago, I started telling myself that I would rather miss the opportunity than make a bad shot, yeah because i because rushing, I made some bad shots and misses or whatever and and it's just not worth it,
0: <laughs> well, and you know ultimately, like we want to do this as effectively as we can, mm-hmm. and you know you don't want to chase him all over a hillside with an arrow in his guts if we can help it,
1: right. Right. That's miserable for everybody. So do you hunt, uh, uh, ever with a recurve or always at the compound or how's it, how do you do that?
0: So I've hunted a little bit with the recurve. I've shot one javelina and one coos deer one year. And then a couple of years ago I went out, I had practiced a ton with my recurve and uh, I was like, I'm, I'm not even going to bring compound. I've never been to this area that I was going. And, um, uh, I'm just gonna bring my recurve. And then I found probably a hundred and eight to 112 inch two point coos like, like giant giant, yeah, so like giant eye guards had eye guards too like a six yeah, pointer yeah, yeah so it'd yeah. be a six point yeah but yeah. um you know just had a huge frame if he would have been like if he would have been an eight matching you know that that 118 120 <laughs> whoa just just a stud and i had my recurve and i missed him like six times Oh, and I was uh, and just so over it.
1: obviously no sights on this recurve
0: yeah it was pure traditional and um like he had a he had a, a doe up underneath a bluff and there was a couple other bucks there and i couldn't with the wind and everything i couldn't get anywhere else but i could get in that bluff and i missed him at like 30 and then yeah i, I had nothing in my lap
1: yeah but so when you shoot a recurve, like that situation, are you shooting the instinctive or, or gap shooting or how are you doing it?
0: Uh, just instinctive. I've never yeah. taken the time to learn how to gap shoot or string walk or mm-hmm. any of that stuff. And I know like with string with string walking, like it really affects tune and broadheads. I can imagine what that does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just kind of instinctive. Yeah. I mean, I, I shoot a recurve very little, but when I do,
1: I shoot instinctive. I just figure, if I'm going to gap shoot, man, just put a freaking sight on it. You know, yeah. like, like what's the point? I don't know. I mean, just my, I'm probably offending somebody, but I'm, I usually do. So <laughs> I, I just don't get the point of it. Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna shoot a bare bow, shoot instinctive. It's exciting actually, because it's just like, so based on gut feel and it's like throwing a football. I mean, it just, where's it going to go? I don't know. I just feel where it's going to go, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's like all these little things are arts. Right. And a lot of them, like, I don't, I just don't have the time and effort to go learn how to gap shoot and remember or write it down. Right. Because, you know, I shot my recurve and I thought I was doing pretty good with it, and then I found a deer that I wanted my compound for, and I haven't hunted a recurve since.
1: So, I so you never you, that deer again. <laughs> yeah. So you're you you, you do the compound because so you'd summarize it it. you summarize it because you want to get the job done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I tell my buddies that that recurve hunt. I said, you know, the the biggest advantage to what you do is you save a lot of money in taxidermy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, compounds are killing machines. They are unbelievable. You can get to a high level of proficiency with them pretty quick. Yep. Yep.
0: Dang. So what do you have planned for this year hunting wise? Um, well, we, we were planning on moving to Montana a lot sooner than I think we're going to be able to. So it's kind of, kind of messed, messed me up because I are you building out there, Brady. Yeah. Okay. So
1: you're waiting on that process
0: yeah and so i didn't put in for any resident tags here in arizona hoping that i was going to be able to get my residency switched for montana in time for hunting season mm. um and then that did not happen and so my wife and i got a few a few tags up there and so it's just that's kind of what's planned yeah right now um if by some miracle a unit is opened in arizona in the rut hunts might come back down and hunt archery deer here and it seems get like lucky enough to get invited to go hunt white tails or somewhere
1: yeah sometimes somewhere that has uh over-the-counter tag yeah the draws even for white certain white tail states are getting so tough it's it's a it's it's becoming a pain
0: yeah it's it's nuts yeah and generally i've been i've been putting in for two zero on the res here mm. um the last several years i've been lucky to get a tag there So I've been able to hunt two coos there in Arizona a year. One state Oh, that's awesome. One on the res, but we didn't do that either this year, so.
1: So what's, uh, have you killed a couple big coos? How, what's, what do you got going there?
0: Um, yeah, my big one's 127. And then, um. And that's, that's an archery buck?
1: Yeah. Holy smokes. Have you entered that? I mean, that's gotta be one of the top in the world. No,
0: no. Nets are for fishing, but...
1: Oh, buddy, that's that's a heck of a buck. <laughs> You're gonna show the the listeners won't be able to see this, but I oh my oh. goodness,
0: bro, that is a stud. Yeah, that's good my for favorite. you. Good so for I have, you. I have a 127, and then um, I've been trying to get another one over that 120 mark. They just fall a little short. I got 117, a couple of 115s in velvet, and a 112. Shang man, hey, do you have a
1: good do you have a good uh a few good trophy photos of those bucks?
0: Mm, Some of them I do, this one I don't actually. It was it was before I learned how to take good pictures with my phone by myself. If
1: if you don't mind, send me send me a few trophy photos because I what I want to do is when we launch this podcast, I want to have Hoyt post them on their Instagram page so the people can see what what we're referring to. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah,
0: but yeah, I think I have, I think I have 11 cooser over a hundred now with my bow. Dang, man. That's I incredible. Like chasing, I like chasing yeah. them. So
1: I was talking with Randy Ulmer, um, a while back and we were talking about string jumping and, um, you know, I had a big problem last year in an antelope hunt. Um, I had it, I had, um, six different shots at, uh, Boone and Crockett buck where like a couple of times he ducked it and a couple times he was literally not in the same footprints, by it's, t- you know, when the arrow got there, I antelope are tough. <laughs> yeah. And I'm convinced it, a lot of it was my arrow noise. Um, I was shooting a, a mechanical that has quite a few uh, blunt edged blades in the front so much so that this mechanical actually hits five inches low at hundred yards compared to my field points. So that tells you how much drag it's getting. And I'm pretty sure the hissing sound there was more than
0: my bow sound Um, definitely so i've i've actually done a ton of testing on on this type of stuff oh fantastic um uh sound is huge veins are where a lot of your noise comes from
1: yep Uh, i recently
0: switched to a aae
1: hybrid 23 i've heard it's very quiet yeah Um, i'm I'm hoping that will work
0: i haven't shot all of them um over like a sound a sound gauge um the quietest one that i found so far is a two seven five tack driver okay um
1: write that, that down that's
0: that's been that's been the quietest one that that I've found so far I don't know if it's the stiffness I don't know if it's the finish on the vein's real slick you know I don't know if if that helps you know of course all broadheads with um vents in them Mm -hmm. are going to make a little bit more noise to your point you know dulled or not having rounded edge or blade pointing forward
2: Mm -hmm. um
0: can can definitely make some noise but ideally like you just arrows are loud and trying to figure out a quiet vein and a quiet broadhead that you're you're comfortable shooting right you know Right. broadheads, broadheads are so tough. You know, I, a lot of people are picky at them. And if you hunt tails back East, you know, it's a lot different than, yep. than the type of broadhead I want out here out West. That's right. You know, I, you know, out here, you know, I, not that I ever really take these shots, but you know, the ball I had last year, I was sighted in the one seventy five. Dang. Just, <laughs> more, just because I could, than I should, yeah. you know, but you're looking for broadheads that hold accuracy. Yeah. Um. And carry that far. And I. And one thing I I would like to point out to to everyone listening with broadheads is weigh them
2: because
0: mm-hmm. you're going to find a lot of your broadheads come in at 104 to 107 grains where your field points are yeah. 100.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And that yeah. kills you at distance. Yep. Yeah. They you know, so three a sure five that, grains heavy a lot of times. Yep.
0: And you got you got to sight in for that. Mm-hmm. which is a pain when you're practicing, but you know, if you want to be serious when you're hunting, you yep. got to sight into your broadheads, not your field points.
1: Yeah. Of course it's nice to,
0: in, in, in gaps.
1: It's nice to be able to shoot field points. And what I personally do is, you know, if I'm having that situation, I'm adding a little bit of weight somehow to my field point to make it match. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So, so one of the things Randy was saying, and I'm just going to run it by one of you Arizona boys, but he was saying that, he has several friends that are, you know, very good archers that they claim these buddies of his claim that they have better success than shooting at a coos deer at 80 yards and above, or just around 80 yards is kind of the sweet spot because they don't get the string jumping. They, they According to what Randy's saying there, it, you know, if they take a 40 yard shot or 45, 50 yard shot at a coos deer they're going to make a bad shot because of the string jumping and they actually make a more ethical shot at 80. Uh, Do you have any opinion on that or, 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 and if you don't want to give an opinion, it's okay. (laughs) Because I know
0: I just pulled a pretty controversial one out there. No. So I I think it's all, it's all sound. Right. And I think it it depends on where that deer is. So like hunting ponds, Mm them coosier jump on a pond a lot, unless you're set a little farther back from the pond. Mm -hmm. Um, and also if a deer's head is up, I've noticed this on coosiers. If a deer's head is up, they're not going to jump as much as when their deer head is down. I I found that on that
1: antelope punt. I I shot, I had the most perfect shot in the world at this buck and he was feeding. And uh, that was one of the ones where he was literally not in the same, my, my, my arrow hit and he was like, Six feet away.
0: Yeah, i've I've gone through that spiel with antelope. I almost think on an antelope, the best thing you can do is get a full draw, get on them, and whistle at them, and have them look at you, mm. so you know they know you're there, and then shoot at them, and then really? they just take it. I've heard that. Interesting. <laughs> well, hey, I'll try
1: anything at this point. I was pulling my hair out.
0: Yeah, but um you know, so like them kuzi are on a pond; they'll jump because you know they're drinking and their muscles are twitching getting mm. ready to get out of there. Um, uh, I've killed several deer out of a tree stand and I've never had a cruise deer jump. Interesting.
1: Okay. Um, those are like st- 20, 30 yard shots out of a tree stand. Yeah.
0: yeah. It, anywhere from 20 to 40 yards out of a tree stand. Yeah. Yep. Um, the only deer I had jump was I was shooting a, a four blade fixed blade and it was vented and super loud. Mm. And, um, I was actually lucky. Like he was, he was facing head right and jumped and whirled and actually hit him on the left side of his throat and the juggler. And it came out in his armpit. He,
1: he, uh, he walked right into it. huh?
0: (laughs) Yeah. He he turned the wrong way. Yeah. But, um, most of my choosers have been shot at a distance. Yeah. Um, so I haven't had too many of them jump really. It's just, you gotta, you gotta pay attention. Like they'll jump bad on a pond, but most of the time though, it's, It's all about how alert they are and, you know, just like hunting anything. But I've, I've had good luck not having a lot of animals jump, jump my string, but I also sound test broadheads, sound test Mm -hmm. veins. Mm
1: -hmm. Do you set up like a phone with a microphone and some kind of decibel app and shoot past
0: it? Or how are you doing that? Um, generally I just have my wife hold it up and I shoot over it and she tells me the number. She she kind of, she ranks it. Well, she like when the arrow goes by, it, like the decibel rating on her. Oh, okay, but with like a smartphone? Uh, no, like on the sound gauge itself.
1: Okay, you have some kind of sound gauge. It has a decibel.
0: Yeah, it gotcha. has a decibel rating on the sound gauge, and you shoot by it. And okay. to all the listeners out there, like my wife is behind a building, and she just holds it out there, and I, I shoot the arrow by. Yeah, it's I gotcha. At about, it's at about 15 yards. Okay, okay. <laughs> so yeah. there's no bow, there's no bow noise on it. It's just the arrow passing by it. yeah, And you know, like shooting expandable broadheads, no vents, very closed blades. Right. That's the key. Okay.
1: I, Evan at Hoyt and I have been talking about doing some of that testing. So I was wondering how you did that. We're going to get together here in the next few weeks and, and test some different veins and broadhead setups.
0: Yep. Just shoot everything over a sound gauge. And it's interesting, you know, like just the way, the way things are, like I had a, I had a, an arrow that I shot six fletchings on, um, two inch silent nights. And that was actually quieter than a four fletch setup with the same thing. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know why it works sometimes. And, and sometimes it changes year to year. Um, and I also think that that's, you know, the energy that the bow puts into the arrow, because the Mm -hmm. arrows want to vibrate and hum a little bit too. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are all just kind of things, but.
1: Yeah, there's some wacky stuff. Like uh, I was with Preston Edwards the other day and um, he, he supposedly had this arrow that, that they were at a tournament, like at Toler Archery Challenge or whatever. And there were these guys sitting by this target and they had been watching people shoot for hours and listening to the arrows fly by. And when mm-hmm. Preston shot, they said it was the quietest arrow they heard that entire day. And so Preston, like, you know, everybody, everybody was like shocked by that. So they, they paid attention and i like, well, show it to me. And it, his arrow had the hardest helical I've ever seen. I mean, it was like, I think it was done with that true helical jig or whatever that yeah. somebody makes Arizona no, Archery or somebody.
0: Yeah. I'm going to try that jig this year.
1: And supposedly that it, it produced and he was shooting an a, some sort of AAE. I can't remember, but it was producing this incredibly quiet arrow. So that's something we got to try as well. But yep. well, anyway, enough of that. I, I, uh, interesting. I, I appreciate you letting me pick your brain on this stuff. Let me ask you one last thing, and I hope this is okay, but I just want to dig into your psyche a little bit. And, um. I want to ask you about the Olympic gold medal. The one yeah. you haven't, the one you haven't won yet. The one because, I haven't won. Yeah. The, the, your credentials, I mean, you've, you've done it all, man. You've done it all. And I mean, multiple world championships, all kinds of world records. And, and this Olympic medal, I, I imagine yeah, you, you won a individual bronze. Is that correct? Yeah, which which indi- congratulations board. dude? this freaking unbelievable, like an Olympic medal. Like this is like, it's an, it's, it's, the, so people dream like one of the biggest dreams in the history of the world would be an Olympic medal and and you did it. So I want to say congratulations, but I also want to ask you, how are you going to get the, you know, I know this medal has to be on your mind and what's your mindset to accomplishing this.
0: Um, man, it's the same thing, you know, just it, it's hard work and grind it out there and, and try to peek at the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Olympics are the format is special and it's once every four years and Everyone brings it to the games. Is there a
1: different scoring
0: there? No, it's the same, okay. Scoring. It's same just scoring. Okay. Generally, like when we shoot our matches, everyone stands out and everyone's shooting at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you only do the alternating shooting. And that once you get to the final four or in your actual finals match. Yep. At the games, every match is televised and every match is the alternating arrow. So it's a lot slower pace, you know, you mm. shoot two matches one day. And depending on where you are in the bracket, you may not shoot. You get through your first two matches, you may not shoot another match for three more days.
1: So is match play then the normal way uh, for Olympic archer? I mean, the other events you go to, like the world championships, I think you've won five of those. Is Is that match play as well? Yeah. Okay. So that's the yeah, standard win, format.
0: Yeah. You win the tournament the same way, no matter what we're shooting. It's just, okay. There's is it's the games are a lot more spread out because every okay. is shot like a finals match. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it's just people get on or you, or you don't, um, I've been close. Yeah. Um, I imagine you've beat
1: the, uh, everybody who's showing up there at one point or another.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, and like in, um, you know, and I've been close to a gold medal. That first one in the team rounds, you know, I missed the last shot by an eighth of an inch and Frangili oh, hit the last shot by an eighth, by an of, an eighth of an
1: inch. Yeah, I you mean, know, at some sorry. point, that's just like sort of luck, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then in, um, in Rio, when when we had that, you know, I lost a shoot-off in the semifinal. And, you know, I just, I got a little bit nervous, got caught in a little bit of wind, made a little bit of a bad shot. And it was just so left and he got caught in the same wind and made the same bad shot. And it was just a little bit better. Yeah. You know, and I won the bronze and he went on to win the gold. Yeah. Uh, you know, the last one, I got beat by the guy that was hot that day and won it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's just the games are, you know, here, here's the way, like people are like, well, how come you haven't won it? And I was like, well, because I haven't. Um, But, you know, I've shot in four Olympics. I've shot in, you know, Twelve world championships, outdoor world championships, and won one, and been bronze twice. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I've shot at five world field championships, and I've won three of those. Wow! Yeah, you, you right. know, so it's like if if you play the odds, if I go to enough Olympics, eventually I should win one, right? You know, but I've only been the four, so yeah, yeah, that's I, a great I, to way that, to look at it. And I, this so is the, chances. <laughs>
1: that's a that's a very healthy. I think mindset because, you know, it's kind of like, well, maybe it'll be this one. Maybe it'll be the next one. I'm just going to do my best.
0: Yeah. You know, and ultimately at the end of the day, like I've been obsessed with it and it's not healthy, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, thinking about just winning the gold medal. And at the end of the day, like I will win a gold medal at some point in time, whether it's in the teams or individual. And when it's going to happen, it'll be, it'll be the time that I was supposed to win it for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, man. I like that. I like you that. Know, you that's know? If I
0: would have won, if I would have won a gold medal in my first Olympics, would I have had the career that I had now hmm. or the second or the third? And Japan doesn't really count because Olympics just sucked in general, <laughs> like just COVID and yeah. being a year delayed and everything. Like I truly believe if we would have rolled into the Olympics in 2020, and I'm not going to say I would have won gold, but I know I would have medaled
1: yeah your game like, is without on.
0: a doubt in my mind I, and i don't think anyone argue with me that unless something happened you know extremely out of the ordinary i would have come away with a medal yeah but it is what it is you know we have paris in two years and then who knows maybe i'm not supposed to win one until i win one in la
1: yeah
0: on home ground yeah. maybe i'm supposed to win that one
1: i love your outlook man and i appreciate you uh let me ask an uncomfortable question. I, I just like, you know, it, I, I love getting in the mind of very serious competitors. I admire you guys, you know, I want to sure. know what, what you're thinking about that. And that's, was just such a healthy response. Um, so I used to play a little golf and, uh, I got obsessed with it. I mean, it got to the point when, it, when I finally quit it was when I, when I realized here, I am at one in the morning in my basement swinging golf clubs, on HD slow motion and breaking clubs because I don't like how my swing looks like this has gotten unhealthy. Right. So <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, pretty bad. <laughs> but what I like to say about golf is um, I don't like it because I like things where there's a relationship between effort and results. And to me, it feels like golf. There's an inverse relationship between effort and results a lot of times. Well, and see, I, like what you're saying.
0: Recurve, I feel like shooting a recurve is exactly like golf. You go out there and pound your head against the wall all day and you still slice it or you still miss. Right.
1: That's, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like some of this conversation has reminded me of like, you, you almost have to like surrender to it a bit and, um, just have a healthy outlook, even when it's not going your way. And the harder you try, sometimes it might not be healthy.
0: Well, Um, the biggest thing is, is just controlling your controllables, right? Like no matter what you're shooting, like the best that you could do is fire that arrow the best that you can and give it the best chance to hit the middle. Right. Because once it's fired and it leaves the bow, you have no control over where it goes. Mm
1: -hmm. You
0: just have to give the arrow the best chance to get there.
1: I like that. Yeah. Well, Brady, this was awesome, dude. I really appreciate you taking time. And I know all the listeners really appreciate this and, um, Hoyt appreciates you and, uh, good stuff, man. I learned a lot from you today. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Let's I do it again sometime.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe we hunt together someday. Yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. I don't know <laughs>
0: keep up with you, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love how, uh, you know, so, some of the target archers, like hunting, isn't a huge priority, but it's something they do, but it seems to me like you're obsessed with hunting.
0: Yeah, my wife would say the same thing.
1: Yeah, good for you. I
0: don't say it's, I don't, it's not an obsession. It's a lifestyle.
1: That's right. It's beyond (laughs) obsession.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, it's like eating or breathing or sleeping. It's, it's a part of life, not, not an obsession. That's good, dude. I love
1: it. Good one. Okay. Well, thanks, man. We'll talk next time. All right. Appreciate it.